0: tongues. Today we're going to be talking about speaking in tongues. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Friends, welcome back. This is Michael Bohm, and this is the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Uh, today, I'm going to re-record. Yeah, that's right. You heard me correctly. Re-record uh, this episode. Uh, I've been having more and more uh, audio problems every time I try to record a podcast. What's really interesting, I recorded this podcast um, about a week and a half ago, and. Uh, If you guys have been following me for a while, uh, towards the end of that Galatians series, in fact, the very end, part six, I recorded uh, the podcast at a church and it was completely lost Uh, and then I re-recorded it at home and the audio quality was so horrible I had to record it yet a third time. Well, that was on a completely different laptop and a completely different microphone. The only thing that stayed the same is the location. I recorded it in my basement. Uh, there is no sound down here. There's no extra noise, no washer or dryer next to me going or anything like that. But yet on this recording, I got the same exact weird sounds, these strange popping noises and these strange whistling sounds. Um, I'm really confused by that. Uh, Before hitting the record button for today's podcast, I did three microphone checks. I talked into the microphone, stopped it, went back, listened to it with some good headphones on, sounded good. Then I did it a second time, sounded pretty good. And then I went back and did it a third time and all three times sounded good. I'm very, very confused about why I'm getting some of these podcasts coming out Uh, With such poor audio quality, you know, I'm kind of a techie, guys. Uh, I might not be a sound guy, but I'm kind of a techie. And I'm baffled by why I'm getting such poor audio quality. And I can switch out my microphones. And we're talking completely different styles of microphones. One microphone is going through a soundboard. Um, and then the soundboard is plugging into my laptop. The other microphone is a USB, uh, blue Yeti microphone, completely different, not even going through a soundboard. And then we're talking about two different laptops and both of them are giving me the exact strange, same strange, uh, audio quality, really quiet. As far as my voice sounds really muffled, um, and yet, all these bizarre, squeaky, whistling sounds and pops—I uh, don't know what to tell you there, guys. But this is this is round two on part one, <laughs> talking about tongues. So I've I've ranted enough. Okay, maybe I haven't ranted enough. Today's somewhat of a strange day uh, in Colorado. There is uh, it is March twenty third. It's about noon, lunchtime, and. Um, there is a blizzard going on outside here in Colorado. I tried to drive to work this morning stupidly and got my work truck stuck about half a mile up the road and so I actually had to walk home in about a foot of snow. And so now I'm I'm <laughs> I feel like I've been here before. <laughs> it seems like every time we have a blizzard I'm down here podcasting. But uh anyway, So today we're going to be talking about this subject of tongues. Now, I've done a podcast or a series of those uh, back in the day when I was doing the shorter podcasts. I did a series on tongues and um, more answering the question must you speak in tongues in order to be saved but I know I went on many different rants along the way and I've talked about tongues several different times in in various other series especially talking about like for example the word of faith movement in some of those older studies I mentioned that one of these days I wanted to do a devoted study to this subject and really hit it hard and that study is today this is where it starts there's going to be two parts to this study I've already already recorded part 2 and oddly enough part 2 I, I recorded shortly after part 1 and part 2 sounds just fine explain that one um I have no idea but part 2 sounds totally normal um anyway in this series we're going to be talking about many different things like for example what are tongues uh, are they for today actually that's not really a question I'm going to be answering in this podcast uh we'll get into that though. We'll certainly talk about that. Uh, and as far as tongues go, what are they and what are they not? Okay. Are tongues a personal prayer language? So many people claim that it's a personal prayer language. We're going to talk about that. Is it some kind of an example of humans speaking in an angelic language? We'll talk about that. Um, And do they actually correspond with a real language spoken somewhere in the world, like an actual real world verifiable uh, uh, spoken language, okay? And as we progress through this study, we're going to be digging deep into the Word of God. We want to know, what does the Bible say, okay? I don't want to talk about people's experiences. I don't want to talk... Of course, we're still going to do that, but really what's the authority here? Is it people's experiences or is it the word of God? So we're going to go into the Bible. We're going to look at all the places that tongues are mentioned and we're, we're going to find out exactly what they are. And by the time we get done with this study, you're going to know exactly what tongues are and what they're not. Okay, so are they what we see in the more hyper-charismatic circles right now, and many Pentecostals as well, or are they something else? You will find out by the end of this series. What we're going to find out, I'll just tell you what I'm going to tell you, <laughs> is that uh, biblically, tongues uh, are the supernatural ability to speak in a real verifiable foreign language, a language that you have never known, you have never learned. It's that supernatural ability to speak in a real foreign language that is unknown to the one speaking, not the modern day charismatic version of some kind of unverifiable gibberish. Okay. I apologize if that offended a few people. Uh, Listen, if you're new to this podcast, and uh, you're listening to this podcast, you found it somewhere on, on Sermon Audio or somewhere on the internet or whatever, uh, listen, I, if you're in disagreement with my position on tongues, uh, well, just listen in. I will speak with love. Um, this is something that I come out of. I came out of the very hyper-charismatic movement. I had the opportunity to, to rub shoulders with some pretty big names. In that movement, Uh, I I was part of this movement for, oh, I don't know, probably about eight years and went to many different conferences, went uh, went on uh, some uh, mission-type trips where we would go out and, uh, well, we'd try to make a difference in a certain area in a very uh, charismatic kind of way. Um, I've been involved with all of this stuff, fire tunnels, revivals, um, deliverance ministry, uh, some some very messianic type belief systems, healings, being slain in the spirit—all these types of things—I come out of that movement, and I and I think I have a lot of interesting insight that you might want to hear. Uh, I, I will deliver it in love, uh, but nonetheless, I want to tell the truth. And and like Paul says, "Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Please just hear me out, and um, you know, make a decision." What, you know, most of this study, we're going to be just straight up in the word of God and we're going to see what the Bible says and, uh, you know, let the word be true and every man a liar, right? I mean, we can all agree on that. So if you're part of a very hyper charismatic movement, if you're part of a movement that does believe in tongues, this study is totally for you. If you're somebody who's come out of that movement, this study is for you, okay? So, And if you have friends and family who are uh, part of the, these types of movements, this study is definitely for you as well. So without further ado, let's jump in. Uh, one of the scriptures that I think really uh, definitively tells us about tongues, uh, I mean, in in the clearest most fashion, let's start right there. Let's not look at some of these more obscure passages until we've really nailed down what they are. And there is a passage that really defines what tongues are, Um, and that would be in Acts chapter 2. We have this incident where uh, all the apostles are in one place. Uh, They're praying. uh, It's Pentecost. They're waiting on this Holy Spirit that's supposed to come 50 days After first fruits, 50 days after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and they're all in one place and they're waiting for this promised one, this Paraclete, this Holy Spirit. What is this? This Helper, okay? And there's a lot of tension in the air, right? What is God going to do now? Jesus was crucified, and we thought he was the conquering king. He was going to show up and take down Rome, and then he was crucified, and then he comes back and tells us that this was all part of the plan. And now we've spent the last 50 days reading in the scriptures trying to find out, wait a minute, where did we miss this? (laughs) You know, where did we miss this redemption, this whole thing about forgiveness? By his stripes, we are healed. And then they, as they're figuring this out, they're also looking forward to this time that Christ was talking about 50 days later, where this helper would show up. And so in verse one, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And I want to hold it right there really quick. You can have this one for free. That right there, that verse is proof positive that the disciples drove a Honda, Sorry about that. And so going on, let's just forget that ever happened, okay? And so in verse two, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven, uh, divided. In other words, you look that word up in the Greek, diamerizo, it means divided tongues, like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And so there were these divided tongues, okay, Uh, as if if some people will interpret that as if there were like these tongues of fire, like an actual little tongue-shaped flame that's burning above everybody's head. It's kind of hard to say, honestly, from this scripture, but it sounds to me... Uh, that they were speaking in divided tongues. But whatever the case, uh, that word tongue is glossa, which is the word for a language. So there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so when you look at that word other, uh, I mean, it's very simple. It just means different. So they began to speak with different tongues. uh, Glossa, it's glossa in Greek, and that means languages. So in other words, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other or different languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Uh, I want you to notice something here. The Spirit gave them utterance. Okay. The Holy Spirit, in other words, uh, gave these words to them and they spoke them. All right. Just put that on the shelf for a minute because we'll come back to that later uh, today. And so going on to verse five, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, (laughs) I love the King James, when it was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Okay, they heard the disciples speak in their own languages. Uh, The word here for language is dialectos. Okay, I mean, I'm sure all of you are already ahead of me here. Dialectos, where we get the word dialect or language, okay? So, (laughs) and I love this. Luke is so thorough in the way he's making he's making this painfully obvious that what we're talking about here is real, translatable world languages. These are real languages, uh, just like he said in verse 5, out of every nation under heaven. Uh, and they came together, and everyone heard them speak in their own dialect, their own language, okay? So really, just right here, okay, you might want to say, hey, but that's not what tongues are in other scriptures in the Bible. Well, maybe. We'll get to those. But right here, tongues, glossa, okay, and that is the same Greek word that's used in those other instances you might be thinking of. We'll get to those. Uh, but that same word, glossa, right here, it's very painfully obvious that what we're talking about is um, the apostles were speaking in a real in real world languages that you know if if you were from that region if you spoke that language <clears throat> and you heard the apostles speaking you would say hey they're speaking in our own language okay it's not like they were hearing you know when you go into more hyper charismatic circles and you hear somebody speaking in tongues and it and it's basically gibberish right it's just a bunch of syllables syllables strung together it's not like that Uh, These people are hearing uh, their own uh, language from their own uh, uh, regions, okay? And so, um, no, they did not hear any unintelligible gibberish, okay? They were hearing their own language. Um, And I guess, you know, the question has to be asked, when has this ever happened in a hyper-charismatic service? And I would, I would uh, put forth that, no, it's, it's never happened. Guys, I've been running in these circles for years. Um, it's always stuff that nobody in the room can understand, not a soul. But here we're seeing the situation where there's all these people out of every nation, again, verse five, people, devout men out of every nation, and they're all hearing the apostles speaking in their own mother tongue, their own personal dialect and, and I don't mean personal as in like a personal prayer language we'll get to that but they're hearing their own homeland's tongue okay their own dialect um, when you are in these hyper charismatic circles and somebody speaking in tongues there may or may not be an interpretation we'll get to that but it's always it's it's always unintelligible babbling okay uh, i have never nor have i ever heard anyone really speaking in another language uh, that they had not previously learned when claiming to be speaking in tongues. Have you? Uh, I would be interested to know. Okay, again, th- we're talking about personal experiences here, and so we got to put that on the shelf and or the back burner, really. But uh, never have I ever experienced somebody speak in a real language. It's always just gibberish. Okay, and then notice how everybody reacted those who were present and they heard their own dialects from their own nations being spoken. Verse seven, they were all amazed and they marveled saying one to another, behold, are not all of these which speak Galileans? Okay, as in these guys are all Galileans. How are they able to speak in our own native languages? Right? And so going on to verse eight, and how hear we every man in our own tongue, again, tongue, glossa, language, wherein we were born. Verse 9, Parthians, oh, and, and I love this. This is great. This is good stuff. Luke is so thorough. In fact, you know, it's he's been referred to as a, a historian of the first rank, right? You've heard me mention that in many different podcasts. I cannot remember which uh, archaeologist or historian, I think it was a historian that made that quote, but whatever the case, he really is. Luke, the physician goes way out of his way all the time in his gospel and in the book of Acts to give you all the details, all the nitty gritty historical details. And I love that because it really roots his gospel and in the, and in, in the book of Acts, which really is just a uh, part two of the gospel of Luke. Um, he, he really grounds it in real history. And what he does here is he names some, if not all, we don't really know, but he lists a roster of at least some of the nations who are present here. Again, think on this for a second. If these guys are speaking in a, you know, quote-unquote prayer language that is only, a you know, your own personal prayer language or some kind of angelic tongue, then what he does here, Luke would make absolutely zero sense naming all these different countries that these people are from. He's naming them because these were the actual languages that were present when these apostles started speaking in glossa in tongues. They were speaking in these real languages. So in verse 9, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia in Egypt, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues. Again, tongues, glossa, language. We do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And all they were all amazed, and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Okay, they were, their minds had just been blown. Okay, and here these guys are standing here, they're listening to the apostles speak, and they're all hearing their own languages. Okay, during this feast, uh, this feast of Pentecost, there would have been people coming from many different areas who spoke in diverse languages. Uh, this would have been an utter shock for them to hear a bunch of uneducated Galileans speaking in their own language. Uh, This was a powerful miracle uh, that, once again, shows that God's approval. See, okay, tongues are a way of God's putting a stamp of approval on the apostle's message. And that actually, I believe, is exactly why we see all the miracles, signs, and wonders and uh, lump that in, tongues lump that in, uh, because in the book of Acts, we have this new church that Christ had birthed. Christ is gone. He went to heaven. He's standing at the right hand of the Father. And uh, we have these now, these men who have been charged with taking the gospel to the world. Well, there are many different worldviews present at this time, most dominant of which is the Judaic faith, right? Of course, this is. Uh, Christianity is is a continuation of that, uh, a development of that faith. Uh, But at that time, the time of Christ and shortly thereafter, Judaism had derailed so far from what it had once been that it was almost a different faith and continues to be somewhat of a separated faith nowadays, Uh, most notably because they rejected the Messiah. But uh, be that as it may, okay. God is putting his stamp of approval on the apostles' message by them being able to speak in these other languages you know again it's it's really obvious here that we're speaking about real world languages. Paul goes way out of his way to list all these different cities and regions that these languages are coming from and you know I, w- I would ask you this why would he do that if this was just some kind of private prayer language or some kind of angelic tongues being spoken, right? Uh, this word glossa is used many times throughout the Bible. Uh, it's usually in reference to actual languages, real world languages. There's a few times where it's it's actually translated literally as tongue, you know, your the tongue in your mouth, right? Um, but especially when this word glossa is used in conjunction with other nations, kindreds, people, tongues, uh, these types of things, it's always in reference to real world languages. Uh, For example, like Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. This is John writing here, okay? And he says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, Now, what's going on here? Uh, Look at this. Which no man can number of all nations, okay, ethnos, uh, a multitude, a nation or people, right? Kindreds, uh, usually translated as tribe, and people, uh, speaking of, and people... Uh, Laos, I'm not sure if I pronounced that right. I apologize if I butchered it. But speaking of people at large, especially people assembled, uh, people of the same race or language, okay, John is talking about people from all nations, again, ethnic groups or whatever, tribes, kindreds, and people, people of the same race or language. And then he ends with and tongues, as in languages, right? real glossa, real languages, all right? So we're talking about real world translatable languages. Somebody can, uh, in other words, you could tape record somebody speaking in one of these alleged tongues and run it through a translation app and it would spit out real words, right? Doesn't that make sense? Wouldn't that make sense to you? Isn't that exactly what Luke is talking about here in Acts chapter 2. Apologist Norm Geisler, one of these days I'm going to con that guy to come on my podcast, God, God willing, but uh, uh, Norm Geisler, he says this, even those who believe in modern tongues acknowledge that unsaved people have tongues experiences. Uh, there's nothing supernatural about them. But there is something unique about speaking complete and meaningful sentences and discourses in a a knowable language to which one has never been exposed. This is what the real New Testament gift of tongues entailed. Anything short of this, as private tongues are, should not be considered the biblical gift of tongues. Okay, Uh, again, according to the book of Acts, Luke chapter 2, right? Uh, we're talking about real, verifiable languages. Uh, Some charismatics will point to Acts chapter 10, verse 46, where Peter shares the gospel with Cornelius and his household. Uh, Because they received the Holy Ghost and they spoke in tongues, it's argued that this is another instance of speaking in tongues, but this time no one was ever there. uh, No one was there who spoke another language. Therefore, it must have been some kind of a prayer language. There's some other scriptures we're going to discuss as well that kind of go along those same lines. I think that, first of all, that's somewhat of an argument from a silence uh, because the Bible doesn't say one way or another, right? We're really kind of inferring that upon the text. It's it's an example of Jesus. You're reading something into the text and not actually pulling what is there out of the text, right? Um, <clears throat> and, and also... Guys, this can't be the case. As Peter describes with the same terminology speaking laleo in tongues glossa language as used in Acts chapter 2. He uses the exact same language and terminology. Okay? Remembering remember that Luke is the author of the whole book of Acts uh, and thus we should expect him to mean the same thing when he uses the same verbiage. Does that make sense? Uh, in addition to that, Peter says of this incident that the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius and his family in the same way, keep that in mind, in the same way as he did when he came upon the disciples in Acts chapter two. So really, guys, uh, if anybody makes that argument, they're really grasping at straws because again, that particular passage doesn't say what they want it to say. they're they're committing an argument from silence. And reading into the text was simply not there. And secondly, it's the same author of of Acts. You know, both incidents are being described by the same author and used the same terminology. And the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius and his family in the same way as He came upon the apostles in the Book of Acts, uh, chapter two. So it, it just doesn't follow. Now. Um, Kenneth L. Nolan explains the situation this way. He says, early Pentecostals believed that glossolalia, Uh, let's stop right there. I've told you repeatedly the word tongues there is translated glossa. Glossolalia is the act of speaking in tongues, okay? So when you hear that big word, glossolalia, now you know that is speaking in tongues, all right? So, let me try this again. Early Pentecostals believed that glossolalia was given to the church for the purpose of world evangelism. Many of them left for foreign mission fields, fully expecting the Holy Spirit supernaturally to give them the language of the native peoples. This initial expectation and the resulting experience was a bitter disappointment to aspiring missionaries who did not want to invest years in language study okay? This truly is sad. And uh, I really mean that. I'm, I'm not saying that to be mean. I, again, I walked in these circles, and I was part of some very hyper-charismatic churches. And, and I mean, most of the people in there, you can tell they believe this to the core. Absolutely. And if you can imagine the, just the dismay of missionaries that are from the hyper charismatic movement, going to other countries <clears throat> and expecting the Holy Spirit to come upon them and for them to be able to speak in a foreign language. Um, how cool would that be? <laughs> you know what I mean? If you were to go on a mission trip, you know, for example, I went to China recently and to be able to go to China, walk up to a Chinese person and just start giving them the gospel in their own language. Perfect. You know, without any accent or anything. You just nail it. How cool would that be? Uh, conversely, how horrible would that be to go on a mission trip fully expecting God to come through and speak through you in tongues, and you get there and find out, I uh, this gibberish I'm speaking has nothing to do with their language. Okay, then you start doubting yourself, you start doubting your faith, gosh, am I even saved? These types of things, I mean, wow, wow, what a head trip. And and when these missionaries realized that they were not speaking any real world languages, something that could be verified and translated, um, well, these Pentecostals were forced to change their theology. Uh, They either had to, A, abandon the idea that they could speak in glossolalia, right, to speak in tongues um, altogether, or they'd have to change the definition, Or what is meant by the Bible when it says they were speaking in tongues. Unfortunately, and I don't think it was so much the people as it was the leaders. And I'm not going to speculate on their motives. You know, were they they corrupt? Or were they, you know, just simply wanting so bad for this to be the real thing, they just kind of fell into this other category of, well... These tongues that we speak are some kind of a prayer language or an angelic tongue. These, you know, these types of things that you hear, whatever they thought, that's what happened. And so that's when there was a turn, a change, where suddenly you started seeing these new teachings popping up uh, that tongues were actually, in fact, um, something other than what we see in Acts chapter 2. Now, linguists have studied tongues, okay? Uh, This is more recent research. By the way, in case you're wondering, uh, I have quoted several different people. Uh, A lot of these quotes I pulled straight out of John MacArthur's book, Strange Fire. Uh, If you have not read this book, and please, if, if you don't like John MacArthur, please don't just throw this whole podcast out because I mentioned that. Uh, I'm, I'm bringing stuff again, mainly from the Bible, but some of the quotes are coming from this book, strange fire, uh, an excellent book. I really didn't know what to expect when I first purchased this because there was so much angry language going on back and forth on Facebook. I thought, man, I mean, is it, I know it's not like MacArthur to just sit there and spend a whole book trash in a group, but is that what's going on here? And I, and I, Ended up listening to the audiobook first. Blew my mind the amount of research he put into this book. Phenomenal. If you want to understand the hyper charismatic movement and the, just all of the miracle signs and wonders, healings, deliverance, all these different things that surround the word of faith slash hyper charismatic and even some in the NAR circles, new apostolic reformation, these types of groups, and even some Pentecostals, check this book out. Um, it's really well done. It's done in love, but he's also very stern. I mean, his position is very firm. And once you see how much research he put into it, I mean, you got to give him that. I, You know, absolutely. There are some really strange things going on out there, and they're not biblical, unfortunately. But anyway, linguists, they have studied tongues. They've concluded that it is unintelligible gibberish, Okay. Uh, there, it's not any kind of a world language, it's not any past, present, uh, you know, past or present language uh, that can be verified anywhere, and we're, look guys, you can get, um, recordings of people speaking in tongues. I mean, there are a dime a dozen. There's a bazillion of them on YouTube. Uh, you can go to your local friendly uh, hyper charismatic church if uh, you can get away with it and record some tongues. Okay. there There's tongues all over the place that you can actually take and then uh, you can do your own research and you can run it through various translation apps. There's a million of those out there. Uh, that will listen to audio and translate it for you, uh, you can take it to a real linguist who spends their life studying languages. They're all going to tell you the same thing. It's not a real language. So now we've brought uh, science into this as well. It's, they're just not real verifiable world languages. Uh, Professor William Samarim wrote this concerning this phenomenon of glossolalia, speaking in tongues, the modern-day version, okay? He says, there's no mystery about glossolalia. Tape-recorded samples are easy to obtain and analyze. They always turn out to be the same thing. Strings of syllables made up of sounds taken from among all those that the speaker knows put together more or less haphazardly, but which nevertheless emerge as word-like and sentence-like units because of realistic language like rhythm and melody. Glossolalia is indeed like language in some ways, but this is only because the speaker unconsciously wants it to be like language. Yet in spite of superficial similarities, glossolalia is fundamentally not language. All specimens of glossolalia that have ever been studied have produced no features that would even suggest that they reflect some kind of communicative communicative system. Glossolalia is not a supernatural phenomenon. In fact, anybody can produce glossolalia if he's inhibited, if he is uninhibited, and if he discovers what the trick is. Uh, elsewhere, Samarin Semer- says, when the full apparatus of linguistic science comes to bear bearing glossolalia, this turns out to be the only, to be only a facade of language. I've experienced this front and center, Uh, and and I've mentioned this in other podcasts. It really is just, okay, listen, be honest with me. All those out there that are listening that uh, agree with speaking in tongues, just be honest for a second, and not that you're not honest, but just be honest here and think about this. When you're at church and you're listening to the different people speak in tongues, first of all, you'll notice that everybody speaks in a different type tongue. That's point number one. Okay, so uh, secondly, you'll notice that a lot of people speak only a few words, if you can call them that, in this tongue, and then they just repeat the same short phrase over and over and over. We all know people like that, right? Amen. Then there's others who've been doing it for years and they've refined their skills in speaking in tongues and they can spe- they can speak somewhere around, you know, three sentences to a paragraph worth of of uh, this tongue. But if you are around them long enough, you'll start seeing or hearing, I should say, repeats. You'll hear them speak a couple sentences again, the same lines or phrases or groups of syllables, really, you'll hear him say it, and then you'll hear him say it again over and over and over, and years later, years later, if you've been in this movement long enough, you'll hear that person speak again, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is still the exact same thing, all right? So one of two things, well, one of three things things—is happening here, either A, they're just simply not speaking in tongues, B, uh, they're speaking some real tongue, okay? But they're, they're repeating the same things over and over and over. They're, they're speaking the same prayer, if you will, okay? Uh, you know, one of those two things is happening, right? It, it can't be anything else. Uh, it's either real, but they're repeating themselves, or it's not real. Huh. So anyway, Charismatics—they recognize this whole thing that these are not real languages. At this point, they recognize this, and many are now referring to tongues as some kind of a personal prayer slash spirit language. Why? Again, because anybody can get a copy of some audio of of somebody speaking in tongues, and you can check it, you can verify it, and you know right away. It doesn't take long, and you're th- and it's it's just not. Oh well, I guess it's not really tongues. So, author Salvatore Cucciari, I probably completely annihilated his last name, might have even annihilated his first name, I apologize. He says implicitly, uh, he implicitly admits that the modern day charismatic version of tongues doesn't have any similarities with real languages. Okay, in speaking in tongues, a sign of possession by this is what he says. In speaking of tongues, a sign of possession by the Holy Spirit, language sheds all the grammatical and semantic constraints in order to do what is impossible for any language to do: communicate the ineffable. <laughs> in other words, what he's saying is, uh, yeah, when you hear somebody speaking in tongues, it it does away with all the grammatical and semantic constraints of what we know as real logical language, because, hey, let's just admit that we're trying to speak about an infinite God. So because we're speaking about an infinite God that's so hard to describe, we have to use languages that make no sense. I mean, isn't that what you just heard? That's basically what he's saying. Uh, The hyper charismatic movement now acknowledges the fact that they're not speaking a real verifiable language. And they're now retreating to a new definition of what tongues are. They'll point at scriptures like 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Okay, when you read that, it says, With the tongues of men and of angels. In other words... Well, isn't Paul saying here that he can speak in angelic tongues? Therefore, we in our churches must be also speaking in angelic tongues because we all believe that the Holy Spirit has fallen on us and we're speaking in some weird languages and we can't find any verifiable translation in a real language. So it must be an angelic tongue. Kind of makes sense. Although when you read... Uh, what Paul is saying there, in context, he he's actually not claiming that he speaks with tongues of angels. Uh, really, he's making a complex argument to the fact of: look, it, it, I can do all these things, all these miraculous, amazing things, right? With all these gifts, First Corinthians chapter thirteen is really focused in on the gifts. I can do all these cool things, but if I don't do them in love. It, it it's meaningless. Even if I was to speak with the tongues of angels, the the most lofty, amazing thing, but I didn't do it in love, I'm nothing more than a sounding brass, like, you know, like a cymbal. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Go get yourself a drum set and slam on that cymbal. And basically that, that loud piercing noise that you're hearing when you do these various things, when you—it doesn't matter what gift, if you're walking in some gift, raising the dead, healing people, if you're not doing it in love, it's—it's it's truly a waste. But what Paul's talking about here, um, if there is no verifiable translation, if there's no interpretation, it's no different than somebody playing a noisy in- instrument. Okay? I have a house full of girls who are all learning various instruments. Both my daughters are learning to play instruments and now my wife is learning how to play drums. Oh my goodness, mid-30s and suddenly one day she's like, I want to learn drums. <laughs> and so I understand what chaotic noise sounds like. When somebody doesn't know how to play an instrument and they, they try, it's total chaos. And that's basically what Paul is making reference to here. If you can't speak in a tongue, and somebody can't understand you, it's just noise. It's not really meaningful in any way, shape, or form. But uh, let's try a different approach to this. If we're all speaking in angelic tongues, right? Um, In other words, because they're angelic tongues, we can't verify them. You know, because who's actually ever sat down with an angel and figured out the different languages they speak? Okay, there's some serious assumptions going on here because this, this, this creates a huge problem uh, for this, this argument when you think about it because you walk into any of these charismatic circles and you ask every single person in the room to speak in their tongue, you're going to find that every last one of them has a completely different tongue. So are we to assume that there are literally... Uh, hundreds of thousands of different angelic tongues Come on guys that would be absurd that would be crazy I can't even imagine there being more than one angelic language right The angels didn't have to deal with the Tower of Babel um there's nothing in the Bible to suggest there are different languages but let's say there was would we could we possibly assume that there was there was And I mean literally hundreds of thousands of different angelic tongues. Come on. No way. That doesn't make any sense at all. And again, that doesn't match up at all whatsoever with the terminology, "glossa" that we see in Acts chapter 2. In other words, we would have to ditch all logic and all reason associated with intelligent, intelligible Speech in order to speak to God who says, the, the God who actually says, come and let us reason, the God of logic. I, I, I don't think so. That doesn't make any sense. Again, that's reading into a passage something that's simply not there. Okay? Um, <clears throat> and, and really, I, I think this whole idea of saying that it's an angelic tongue is just no more than a way to obscure the fact that you cannot verify what they're saying. It's basically an excuse. And really, it, and on top of that, what's worse is the person who is allegedly speaking in this tongue, they have no idea what they're saying, nor, nor does anybody else. Um, now, some hypercharismatics, congregations will claim that their tongues, that those who speak in tongues have to have somebody who's going to interpret which that's biblical right that goes back to the scriptures if somebody's going to speak in a tongue there better be an interpreter and they'll actually and i've I've seen this in the congregation I was part of um, for many many years it was utter chaos and I mean you anybody and everybody could just bust out in tongues at any time in the service and everybody nobody would bat an eye I mean you'd look at the person who was clearly interrupting the service and and you would think, wow, that is a holy person. They are clearly filled with the Holy Spirit. And you would actually look at somebody interrupting the service with admiration. But a little bit later on, many years later, the pastor started uh, realizing that maybe things should be done decently and in order according to the scriptures. And so it, he, he offered that uh, if there's going to be somebody speaking in tongues, uh, we needed to wait for somebody to have an interpretation before we moved on. So really that just amounted to somebody would interrupt the service and then you'd have to sit there and wait for somebody to allegedly uh, come up with an interpretation and go up to the microphone and say, oh, this is what the Lord told me this meant, okay? Um, I have seen this so many times uh, because we did it like this for years. And to be honest, it's, it's sad and it's embarrassing, okay? I've personally watched people go up And they'll give a a few short lines, kind of the equivalent of what sounded like a couple sentences, or maybe even just one sentence in a tongue, right? And then there'd be this long gap of time, maybe even up to five minutes. We're all just sitting there quietly for somebody to have an interpretation. And then suddenly somebody gets up and says, I have an interpretation. And they go up (laughs) and they'll give a five minute sermonette as to what that the, the interpretation the word for word interpretation of that tongue, and it turns out to be like this sermonette straight from the Lord, right, thus saith the lord sorry if i'm I'm kind of getting excited and and you can probably hear a smile in my voice as well. I apologize it this movement really left me hurt, okay, damaged, and uh, some of this stuff does strike me as a little bit silly, uh it was embarrassing, I mean. It's kind of like, okay, a really bad analogy, but it's kind of like when you're watching anime, right? And you'll see somebody on this anime cartoon or gosh, even some old Godzilla movies or whatever, and you'll see the person mouth, like two sentences, right? Their mouth is going. And the words that come out are, quick, over here, or something like that. And you're, I mean, you just lose it. You bust out laughing. You're like, oh, come on. But that's actually, you know, that's... A real example of a language being translated to another language it might not be word for word but I'm sure it's pretty close um, but to see somebody give a short one or two sentences and then hear somebody else get an interpretation that lasts for five minutes oh come on seriously and also Similarly, uh, many times I've heard someone supposedly give a tongue for the congregation and then somebody else will come up and give an interpretation. Then a week or two later, I'll hear that same person speak in basically the exact same couple sentences, okay? The same tongue. And then somebody will go up and give a completely different interpretation. And by the way, that, that person that gave the same tongue You'll hear them week in, week out, months on end, years on end, given basically those same couple sentences in that tongue, the same, the same thing. Okay, if you were to get a recording and tape it, and then the next time they spoke in tongues, get a recording and tape it, and then maybe a third time, get another sample, and maybe wait a year, get another sample, and then listen to them. They're all basically the exact same thing. Okay, the exact same syllables strung together. Uh, it's it's sad. Okay. Um, another question, could this be some kind of a personal prayer language? Uh, I'd say it's pretty obvious. It's not some angelic language. Cause again, there's no way there's like hundreds of thousands of different angelic languages. That's, that's just silly. Um, is it possible that each one of us has our own personal prayer language? And so what's going on is that, uh, when we speak in tongues, that's just our own language that it's kind of like when God says he's going to give us our own name, right? Maybe he's given us our own language and that's it. That's the only person on the planet that speaks that tongue. That one glossa is us. Um, Is that possible? Uh, They'll point at scriptures like Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. Uh, And so um, when I read through that scripture, you know, they'll argue, well, see, the Spirit itself is making intercession in us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. In other words, this this is possibly some kind of personal language, a personal prayer language where we can communicate back and forth with God, but only uh, only we speak it. You know, that's my language, and you have your own language. Is that really all the tongues are? If so, that doesn't line up with Acts chapter 2 at all. Again, all those different devout men and Jews from different regions were all hearing their own language, their own dialect coming out of these Galileans, these unlearned Galileans. So is this a personal prayer language? Um, Let me ask you this. Reading back through the scripture, I want you to consider these questions as we read through the scripture because uh, when you really look at the scripture closely, it refutes this whole idea just in and of itself that it's a prayer language. Uh, One, is it the Spirit or us doing the talking in this passage? Is it the Spirit or us who is making intercession? Well, it says the Spirit itself itself maketh intercession for us with groanings. Uh, Secondly, does this scripture even mention tongues? No, it doesn't. Uh, Is the Spirit even speaking a language? It doesn't say. It says the Spirit makes intercession with groanings, which cannot be uttered. Okay, really, I mean, when you read this and you look at it, It's not saying that we all have our own prayer language. Again, you have to commit iso-Jesus. You have to read into the text. You have to push your own ideas into the text and wedge them in there versus what we should be doing, exo-Jesus. You know, like Exodus, you know, coming out of the land of Egypt. Exo-Jesus, we're reading the passage and pulling the meaning out. Does that make sense? When you read that passage, it's not saying anything about a prayer language at all whatsoever. It's the Spirit doing the talking, and the Spirit is the one making intercession, and nowhere in there, it says it's making intercession for us. Nowhere in that passage does it say the Spirit itself makes intercession through us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. Again, groanings which cannot be uttered, doesn't really sound like speech. But whatever the case, again, we're reading something into the text. It's just simply not there. Again, if you want to know the meaning of what tongues is, go back to where tongues is spoken about in a very clear, concise manner, and that would be Acts chapter 2. So... Uh, Why do charismatics put so much emphasis on speaking in tongues? Uh, Not Guys, not to make a genetic fallacy type argument here where I'm going to put motivations in the the mouths and hearts of these various people, but having said that, I've been in these circles for so long that I can give you some insight, okay? And and this would just be coming from experience, okay? This is my own subjective experience in the movement, but what I have found is that... um, You know, for example, worship would end, the congregation was whipped into a frenzy, uh, and you would hear ecstatic kind of groaning and voices speaking in their tongues. Um, Some would claim that they felt the anointing come over them. Uh, Some would speak in tongues and and would lose, would would see their hands, you'd see their hands start trembling. Uh, Some would start convulsing in awkward ways. Uh, Some would feel spiritually empowered when they spoke in tongues. Uh, as in, as if they, they had felt like when they were speaking in tongues, their pr- their prayers were somehow multiplied or made more powerful, okay? Everybody who's been in this movement probably could describe that same thing, that somehow they felt like when they were speaking in this tongue, somehow their their prayers, the words were much more empowered, okay? So in other words, uh, you know, demons would flee in their presence. You start speaking in a tongue and the demons would just start running. Uh, If you were positive confessing uh, and you followed this confession with a string of some tongue, you would almost feel like, you know, that was kind of like saying in Jesus' name. You know, you really, you put a a smack into it. You, You, you know, threw a punch in there. You really empowered that, Confession of faith. Um, you would feel like strongholds are being torn down every time you spoke in a tongue, you know, prayer walking, and you walk into a certain area, and then, ah, ba, 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 and, you know, and you start, <laughs> sorry, okay, and you start, I've, I've done this too, okay, so uh, that's me speaking in gibberish. Um, you start speaking in some tongue, and then suddenly you're breaking strongholds, and and generational curses are being torn down, and this, all these 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 types of things, strongholds are being t- taken down, spells are being broken, generational curses are being stopped, all these types of things. Uh, but I would like to put forth something else, and I, you know, in my experience, I I think this holds water. Uh, it makes for an easy way to look as if the spiritual gifts are active in your church. Think on that for a minute. It's not an easy thing to make up a prophecy. Uh, people do it, but you know, it's a few select people generally. It's, it's a much smaller chunk of the population of believers that will uh, claim to prophesy, right? Because why? Because prophecy can be checked later and um, you can be found out to be a false prophet, Most of the time, people look the other way when the big name false prophets make a false prophecy, but whatever the case, it's harder to be a prophet. Uh, It's also very hard to fake a healing. People like Benny Hinn do it all the time, but they are masters at it, okay? Uh, And and, and you try to put them on the spot and say, well, gosh, there's a hospital right up the street. How about you and I cruise up there and uh, I'd love to just follow you around and watch you clean out the ER and the... the, uh, Uh, intensive care units and stuff like that. Uh, Hey, and let's go down and visit the morgue while we're there. You know, let's back this up. No, you're not going to see them ever do that. No, they're going to watch somebody uh, who has a slight limp or has some crutches walk into a Benny Hinn type gathering under a big tent or something or in a stadium and uh, they'll immediately swoop that person up, put them in a wheelchair, and wheel them up to the front. But if somebody comes in in a wheelchair who clearly cannot walk, they will not pull you up to the front. If somebody walks in with no legs, ooh, whoops, sorry about that. I didn't mean to say it that way. Somebody rolls in with no legs, or maybe missing an arm, or missing an eye, or a finger, they're not gonna put you up front. Why? Because they know for a fact. Those guys that help Benny Hinn know for a fact that his healings are hokey pokey and that it's not real and that God is not working through Benny Hinn and nobody's gonna grow a new arm or a leg or grow an eyeball or a finger or whatever. You know, it's always stuff you can't see, right? It's always a healing that you can't see and verify. It's, it's stuff that, you know, oh, I had a headache when I came in here, but now I feel wonderful. Yeah, well, you're experiencing some adrenaline, And a day later, you're going to be just the same. Nothing's changed. So anyway, uh, that was a little bit of a rabbit trail. Uh, Guys, contrary to popular beliefs, uh, charismatic beliefs, that is, uh, tongues slash prayer language, this whole idea that that you're speaking in some kind of prayer language was never spoken by the early church. This is a very new thing. Speaking in tongues as a a practice... um, Speaking in tongues is a practice that ended after the apostles finished their work, right? Shortly after the book of Acts, shortly after what we see written in the Bible, you see tongues completely disappear from history, okay? That's just a, a statement of fact. I'm sorry, I'm just stating a fact here. You don't see it throughout history. And then all of a sudden in the 19th and 20th centuries, this pops back up, this new idea of tongues and uh, like I mentioned earlier in this podcast, when it first popped up, these these this young hyper-charismatic movement truly believed that uh, they were speaking in real verifiable languages. At that point, they understood what Acts chapter 2 was speaking, and they were looking at it as, these are real languages. We don't know what they are, but they're real languages. Uh, and if we were on a mission trip in some weird jungle somewhere, we'd be able to speak to the natives in their language, Right. Uh, But then, 19th and 20th centuries, they quickly came to realize these are not languages. They're not real, verifiable world languages. They have to be something else. And that's a whole new phenomenon, guys. A whole new thing. And so I'm going to end today by giving you this short little quote by uh, W.A. Criswell. He says, uh, In the long story of the church after the days of the apostles, wherever the phenomenon of glossolalia has appeared has been looked upon as heresy. Glossolalia mostly has been confined to the 19th and 20th centuries, but wherever and however its appearance, it has never been accepted by the historical churches of Christendom. It has been universally repudiated by the churches as a doctrinal and emotional aberration. Pretty harsh words, uh, but I would have to agree. Everywhere I've looked, I see the same thing, and it is an aberration. It's not what the scriptures teach. I'm going to stop here. Uh, Next week, we're going to jump into several other scriptures that I'm sure you guys had in mind when I mentioned I would be going through all the scriptures that talk about tongues. There's many more that we want to go through next week, and there's going to be some more uh, verse by verse, almost expositional teaching going through the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, and 13 and 14 we're going to go through and look at a lot of these places uh, because I don't, I I want to patch every hole. I want you guys to thoroughly understand by the time we get done here that there is no other tongues other than what we see in the book of Acts. And there's no reason to believe otherwise, uh, other than people's experiences. But guys, these experiences, it's nothing more than somebody speaking in gibberish. You can't verify it. It can't you can't record it and test it and find out, oh, that person's actually speaking Swahili, you know, <laughs> something like that. No, it's 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 all just gibberish. It's not angelic tongues. It, 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 you know, it possibly could be a prayer language, but can we point to a scripture that really says we all have our own personal glossolalia, we have our own personal tongue, language, dialect, when speaking to God, you won't find a scripture that says that. And conversely, you're going to find that the Bible does define tongues, and it defines it very well in Acts chapter two. And there's no way around that. So anyway, yeah, we will continue with this next week, a study that I have already recorded. And so, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I, you know, I'm sure that I've left some of you a little aggravated, and you know, I apologize about that. I love you guys. I love you guys enough to tell you the truth. And again, most of these arguments I've presented today are straight from the scriptures. Okay. We want to look at the Bible. We want to see what it says. We want to take the meaning from the scriptures and not try to push our own ideas into the scriptures. And this is coming from a guy who spent years in this movement, hook, line, and sinker. I was sold. I was hooked. And it wasn't until I started reading my scriptures And I really love the scriptures. And I kept reading and reading and reading so much so that the pastor accused me of loving the Bible more than I love Jesus. And he even told me I was committing (laughs) bibliolatry. Yeah, right. Find that in the scriptures. You're committing bibliolatry, kind of like idolatry, like bowing down to an idol. Only I'm bowing down to the book, the Bible. (laughs) You know, these are the very words of God And I treasure the words of God so much, and I'm being accused of actually bowing down and worshiping the words of God as an idol. I'm not so certain that that's necessarily such a bad thing, although I don't bow down to the Bible, but we are talking about the word of God here, right? These are the very words of God, and I I hold them with the highest esteem. And if somebody wants to accuse me of worshiping the words of God. Well, I do worship the God who said those words, and because I worship him, anything he says is gold to me, and I will cherish it, and I will look at it, and I will study it, and I will do everything I can to follow exactly what it says. Praise God and amen. Amen. Okay, so thanks for listening. This has been Michael Bohm, Youth Apologetics Training. I love you guys, and we'll see you next week.